um, the state, uh, Iowa State uh, Student Ministries and Chi Alpha Director. Uh, he has... He has been a friend of mine for, how long have we been friends? Seven years? Eight years? Something like that. Adam and I have been friends for a little, a little while. He uh, is a wonderful person. He's a wonderful person and somebody that I connected with really, really quickly. Somebody, sometimes in ministry, you get around people and you're like, I don't have anything in common with that person. And then there's other times when you, when you have coffee with somebody or you hang out with somebody and you're like, my goodness, there's just this beautiful resonance and similarity that the things you care about and the things this person cares about are similar. And there just becomes this kind of beautiful rhythm between you and that person. Um, and that makes for fast friends. Uh, over time, I've come to just appreciate Adam so much, not just for uh, not just for his leadership, but also for just his heart, his willingness to be uh, to be involved in the lives of people, his his willingness to be thoughtful with what he says. And uh, with Adam, there is never uh, this is probably too much pressure, but it never feels like there is a word that he utters that isn't kind of genuine or birthed out of a place of real uh, intention, and I love that about him. And so, yeah, do good, okay? Uh, so, um, so Adam, like I said, Adam's a wonderful guy, and we're so thankful to have him here at Grace Community Church today. I've been wanting to get him in the pulpit for a while or the, in front of, on the stand, in front of the stand. All right, so if you would stand this morning for the reading uh, our, of our teaching text. Our teaching text this morning is out of Genesis 3, uh, 1 through 11. And it reads, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit of the tree in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the, from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will, uh, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree, that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made a covering for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, saying, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the, in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? This is the word of the Lord today. You may be seated. Uh, can we give Adam a round of applause as he comes up to speak? No pressure now. I, will, I just have to say it's an honor to be here with you this morning, uh, an honor to invest in you and uh, just to be in your presence. I've heard such incredible things about this congregation and um, really love your pastors and leadership here. So thank you for, for allowing me the privilege of sharing with you this morning. Um, before I jump in, I want to just share a couple things. Um, so what I do, it sounds like a fancy title when it says Student Ministries and Chi Alpha State Director. Um, I help facilitate programs and events 
and development for leaders in children's ministry, youth ministry, and Chi Alpha ministry across our state. It sounds a lot fancier than it is, and it often looks like a lot of time on the road and in my car seat and a lot of coffee. That's what it mostly looks at, and a lot of events um, of which discipleship doesn't actually happen through events. Discipleship happens through communities like this. So what's happening here is way more important than anything that happens on a state level because the local church is the one that will change the community and will change the world. So thank you for being a part of a local church. Uh, briefly about who I am, um, I'm married to my incredible wife, Casey, sitting down here, and we've got two boys, Zion and Jude. We've lived in Des Moines now for just over two years, and just we love what we get to do on a, I wish I could say day-to-day basis, but every day looks a little bit different, but love the rhythm of life that we get to live in. And I have to share a brief confession two confessions first before I jump in, um, because I believe in confession. But the first one, uh, the message that I'm going to share, I'm stealing a lot of it from other authors because they've so inspired me. And so some of the things I say, don't ever think that it's actually me quoting it, because I'm not sure if it was me or the books that I read in some of this. So don't post on social media that Adam Klossick said any of this. Um, you can ask me and then maybe I'll tell you whether I can remember or not if it was from something, but a lot of what I'm going to share is out of these three books. I put them on a slide. Um, these three books have really inspired me. The first one is, is called 40 Days of Decrease by Alicia Britt Sholey. The second one is called The Soul of Shame by Kurt Thompson, who's a medical doctor, psychologist, uh, and a believer. And then the, the third book is called The Seeking Heart uh, by Fenelon. He's uh, he lived in the 16th, 17th century, somewhere in there. Uh, he was the Bishop of France, I believe. Um, but those three books have really shaped me in the past few months and just really inspired and challenged what I'm going to share with you this morning about shame. The other confession I have to share is a way to listen to sermons. Up until about two years ago, uh, not even that long ago, up until the last few months, see, uh, you start to justify things when you start to confess them, and you realize, ah, we try to make them sound further ago than what they really were. But really, in the past few months, I've had this conviction of when I listen to sermons. When I used to listen to sermons until a few months ago, I was listening to it for inspiring quotes, things that I could re-preach and retell engaging whether I ag agreed or disagreed with it theologically. I don't think any of those things are bad, but I don't think that's the point of preaching. The point is that we as disciples, you and I, as we're followers of Jesus, that we would be encouraged in our faith in following Jesus, that we could follow close, closer after his back, and that way we could pull others along more in the process. Because most importantly, before being a director or a pastor or a husband or a wife, well, I'm not a wife, but before being any of our, our titles, a father, any of our titles, those are important, but our most important one is a disciple. Because we follow after Jesus. We've, in, we've accepted the invitation to follow him, and then we invite others in the process. So my hope this morning is that you'd be encouraged, you'd be challenged, but most importantly, you'd take another step closer to being 
a deeper devoted disciple of Jesus. So that's my prayer for you this morning and a little bit of a confession as far as how I have failed in the past to listen to sermons. So this morning, and, and I say it's an inspiring thing, but I'm going to talk about shame. It's not very inspiring uh, of a topic. It's not something I get up and excited, and if we were preaching a sermon series, a lot of people would find their way to not show up for a sermon on shame. Uh, as the school year ends, many of our, our Chi Alpha students were heading out of the school year. It would be great to give you an inspiration to stand firm, go strong, but really shame is where I kept coming back to because shame has been something I've been processing for the few, last few months in my own life. So I don't share this as someone that stands on a platform or a theologian. I share this as someone who has walked through some shame over the past few months, and I've seen the freedom that Jesus can bring, and I want to help you find that as well. And if six months ago you would have asked me if I had shame in my life, I would have said, no, no way. Only certain people have that. People that walk around with their head down, people that don't hold levels of leadership, people that are not pastors don't those are the people that walk around with shame, but shame is a part of the human condition that we all walk with. Every single one of you, I'm sure, has experienced shame in your life in different ways. Maybe in the past week you've recognized it, and maybe it's there and you didn't recognize it. But to share a little bit of a definition, shame is a powerful emotion that can cause people to feel defective, unacceptable, even damaged beyond repair. You may sometimes confuse shame with guilt, a related but different emotion. When you feel shame, you're feeling that your whole self-worth is wrong. To be human is to be infected with this phenomenon we call shame. It's not much of a, of a phenomenon if every human experiences it, right? Part of shame is that we, all we are all, all sick, because of our sinful nature, we read right there in, in Genesis, we, we read in the very beginning that Adam and Eve experienced shame. It doesn't say they experienced shame, but if they discovered that they were naked and they hid, why did they hide? Because of shame. In the same way that we have a sinful nature, and when we sin, we try to hide it. We try to cover it up. We try to keep it in the closet and keep it secret. Churches sometimes are the worst at this because we feel like we're being hypocrites if we actually admit that we're sinners, which is ironic because the whole point of Christianity is that we're sinners and we need a Savior. That's the whole point of the songs that we sing on Sunday mornings is that we need you, Jesus, because you are the only one that is good enough, and by your grace, I have been saved. By your grace, you heal my shame. Adam and Eve, when they, they committed this first sin, they, they discovered they were naked. They hid. So many times in my own life I've had sin, and I've covered it up and tried to hide it because of shame. Shame is what keeps the closet closed and the dark things hidden. I believe it's something from the enemy that he wants us to, to hide because we know that when things are brought into the light, we can experience freedom. Uh, just my own life, a few things. A couple weeks ago, I was driving through Grundy Center, uh, driving, I didn't know how fast, but turns out I was driving 41 miles an hour in a 30 mile an hour um, 
and police officers don't like that when you and so I got pulled over and the police officer said did you see me back there and I said no I probably would have slowed down if I did <laughs> he goes okay and then he gave me a ticket knocked it down thankfully uh I was thinking maybe my honesty will help me he had told him I didn't see him and he said yeah because you didn't see me I had to give you a ticket have lied. Uh, he said, if you didn't see me, someone could have run out and you could have hit him and it would have been bad. Yeah, all right, you're right. I'll still be honest because it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. And then I immediately felt shame. It's like, I don't want to call my wife and tell her that I got a speeding ticket. It's like the first speeding ticket I've gotten since we've been married. First one I think I've ever gotten in Iowa. But I immediately felt shame. And how ridiculous is that, right? It's, it's a speeding ticket. It was an $87 fine. That's not going to make us not be able to put food on the table. That's not going to uh, really break us. It's not going to make us not be able to pay our mortgage. But it, it's just crazy to me how shame sneaks in over s- even such small things. I've felt shame in my life in so many different ways. Uh, One of the biggest ways that I felt shame, and it hid in my life for years, and it really isn't even a sin issue, and I have to confess to you this morning about it, Uh, when I was in, when my wife and I were first married, I was working third shift at Walmart, which that sounds like a confession in itself, but um, (laughs) I was working third shift at Walmart. I was a youth pastor, outreach pastor. I was helping uh, an online company do social media, and I was a student at the University of Iowa, which that also sounds like a gross confession. Um, I'm a Cyclone fan, by the way. I just have to throw it out there. I know at least up here, it's safer than Iowa City. But we lived in the Iowa City area. We lived in North Liberty, and while I was taking classes and doing the other few jobs, all the while getting married, I had no business being in school. And school was not my passion. Uh, well, work, working at Walmart was not my passion either, but it stole a lot from my life because of sleep. And I ended up failing a couple courses and was dismissed from the University of Iowa as a student. I was dismissed um, for failing. Uh, ironically, the course I failed was the intro to Islam. So I've make a terrible Muslim. Um, (laughs) And then, so I was so ashamed because in my family, you go to college and you get a degree. My brother's an engineer, my sister's a teacher. We go to college, it's what we do. I then immediately felt shame. I told my family I was taking a break from school, which wasn't quite a lie, because I was, I had no option. And I hit it. A year later, I went back into school on probation. Started studying philosophy because I thought it would be easier than business and it fits a little bit more with preaching. And in my second semester, I misread some things and I found out I ended up with an incomplete. So I failed out of college a second time. And then I felt shame again disappointment, shame, frustration, self-worth, doubt, all these things, because I was raised in a family that you 
get an education. You get a four-year degree. It's what we do. And I covered it up for so long to the point that I finally, and my wife and I, I didn't even tell my coworkers. I didn't tell anyone. And for a few years, I was just so embarrassed. So I was like, I'm not, I'm not dumb. I'm not, but I started to believe these lies that I was. My self-worth. And as I, I, I ultimately ended up, I, I was so afraid to even share this with my family that I sent an email <laughs> to my parents and siblings to confess this. It's funny, but at the same time, man, it was scary because I was so ashamed of myself, of my failures, and it was holding me back from the freedom that Jesus wanted to bring in my life. It was holding me back internally. No one else was hanging it over my head wasn't like my boss was like, oh, sorry, you're going to get fired now. No, he wasn't. No one around me that actually genuinely cared about me thought it was really that big of a deal. But is this shame, these lies that we believe, it's like Adam and Eve, when they realized that they were naked, they hid because of their sin nature. But God was right there with them. He cared so much about them. He knew they were naked the whole time. God knew the whole time my mistakes. And God knew where Adam and Eve were hiding when he said, where are you? And this isn't a question that our creator was asking Adam and Eve so that way he could find out their geography and location, right? We're talking about the omniscient, omnipresent creator of the universe who spoke and there was. And he's, he comes to them and says, where are you? And they knew that he spoke spoke all these things into reality. He asked them to name every animal and being on the planet. He gave them sovereignty and leadership to, to steward creation. And they walked in such incredible community with their creator. They knew that he knew. But his question, where are you, is because he, he wanted them to say where they were. He wanted them to pull out their place, their feeling, their recognition of the issues. In the same way that Jesus asks us to confess our sins one to another, it is so, and, there, and we read in James that there is healing when we, re, when we have confession. The same thing happens today with, with all of our confession. We receive healing, and a lot of that he, healing has to do with shame because the sin is no longer hidden. It is no longer holding us back. And we bring these things out of the dark closet into the light and we go, oh, yeah, it is ugly. But it's there. It's even uglier when it's hidden because no one else knows. And I'm not saying, hey, we need to open mic, everyone come air our sins. That's no, that's that's the point of community is we have these tight knit relationships that we can say, I'm struggling with this. We no longer feel shame when we have others to bear, carry our burdens with us, to help us walk together, to move forward. Because shame wants to hold us back. The enemy wants to hold us back from walking in the fullness and joy that Jesus wants for you. And we can't let sh shame hold us back any longer. We have to bring these things into light. See, the antidote of shame is vulnerability. And it is incredibly scary. 
obviously, I, I tell you my story of, of being in failing out of college twice. I wouldn't be able to stand here and share that if I hadn't walked through releasing that shame from my life years ago. And really in the past year, even more. The same way we, we have to bring these things into light. We have to, we're, we're asked to be vulnerable. When the creator asked Adam and Eve where they were, he was asking them to be vulnerable and say, this is where I am. Admit. Admit it. But we have a tendency not to bear our shame because we're self-preservationists. We feel like we need to keep our cards close. We need to protect ourselves. We can't let anyone else in because it's scary. And if they know, then they know. And what will they do with it? I would rather err on the side of letting them deal with it on their conscience, how they handle our sin. I'm not saying go confess your sin to everyone. That's why we need tight-knit community that we walk together, we carry each other, and we move forward. But in those communities, it's easy just to talk about an inspiring thought, share about the news, the weather, sports, the draft, classes, education. It's easy to, to get caught up in these philosophical conversations that we don't actually dig deeper to the shame in our own life. But we have to do that. In our our Savior, Jesus, would know shame and vulnerability more than any of us. I want to read, this is a quote, uh, I don't remember which book it was from, but it was from one of those, so this is a part where you don't quote me, for sure. It says, before being crucified, victims were usually stripped naked. It is difficult to imagine a more humiliating event. There's reason to believe this was true for Jesus but we find it virtually impossible to look upon his naked form and even consider it, given how embarrassing it feels. Our own discomfort is revealed even in the way we represent it artistically. With few exceptions, depictions of this event usually portray Jesus' loins covered with a cloth. That is not, this is not to argue a different way to portray Jesus' crucifixion, but rather to point out that although we assent theologically to how Good Friday delivered us from shame, as well as sin, actually permitting ourselves to be there on that Friday, being with the naked Jesus, is an entirely different matter altogether. The point here is to emphasize that Jesus' literal naked vulnerability is a testimony to us that he knows exactly what it is to be like us. See, Jesus would have experienced that shame. My wife and I, on Easter Sunday, watched The Passion again, and it's hard to not turn your face from the gruesome nature of what happened that day, that Good Friday. I don't know if it's the shame and sin in my own life, imagining it upon him. I don't know if it's the fact of watching a, a body brutally beaten the way that it was. But it feels incredibly uncomfortable. And I'm watching, not feeling, that happen. We have to recognize that the creator we follow experienced even shame. 
the Jesus that we follow and we sing praises to experienced struggles just like you and I. And he did it because he wanted to bear the cross for you and for me. That we don't have to walk in our shame. We don't have to walk in our sin any longer. Because he paid that price for us. So we can follow him. We can find freedom in him. We read and we sing songs like where the sp- in, in, from the scriptures that say where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. He died so the Holy Spirit could come and bring freedom for you and for I. And part of this is becoming fully known. Shame is, the, is this idea that we don't want to share all of who we are. But we read in 1 Corinthians 12, it, it, it talks about, mat- or 1 Corinthians 13, 12, uh, it talks about when ma- love matures, it becomes fully known. It knows God fully and it is fully known. In the same way that you and I need to be fully known by God. And yes, he is our creator. He knows every hair on your head or lack thereof. He knows every piece of your cellular being down to your very core. He knows all of you. But he still wants you to speak it. He still wants you to speak from your heart, your struggles, your pains, your desires. Because he wants to walk in intimacy with you. And we can't walk in intimacy if we don't walk in vulnerability. And if we don't walk in intimacy and vulnerability, we will be stuck in this nature of shame. We have to bring it about. And often in churches, we sing a song, we bring a challenge like this, and we say, just cast it to Jesus and move forward. And we expect the miraculous to happen, which it can. And I really believe it can. But my experience has not just been saying it once, but having people walk with me through it. We don't talk to somebody that has some sort of addiction, whether it's chemical or other addiction, and expect them to, oh, yeah, I'm an addict, and then be addicted no longer. It's not what we think most often. Now, can God do that? Absolutely. Do I want to see God do that? Absolutely. Most of the time, it's confessing daily. I've got this struggle, I need help. I've got this shame, I need people. You and I are no different, that we both have these, this sinful nature, we have shame, and we need to be vulnerable and fully known to our creator and our community. It's both and, up and, so vertical and horizontal. We have to be doing this together. We can't only sit over here in a corner and think I confess to God all these sins and all this shame and expect to actually grow as a disciple. Jesus' model for discipleship was tight-knit community daily, walking together, breaking bread, drinking wine together, doing life in communion on an everyday basis, not just, you know, for an hour and 25 minutes on a Sunday morning. That's not discipleship. That's not life. That's not the life that Jesus calls us to. It's, it's daily. Because in the, the, what, 20 minutes before church that you show up, it can be chaotic in a lobby, trying to get kids checked in, trying to say hi, connecting with other people, 
getting some coffee, finding your seat, and then we have a couple minutes to, to share, hey, how was your week? And then we find, sit down and we go, that's not, that's not ongoing community. If we're not finding space outside of right here, we're going to keep getting the same experience that we've been getting. So we've got to try something deeper. We've got to try something closer to the model that Jesus gave, which is following him and leading others. Another example of shame I think of that Jesus gives us as a model. We, well, first, I think of Adam and Eve is this example of, of shame where he says, where are you? And it's an invitation to confess, right? And say, this is where I am. This is where I'm fully known. Another example I think of is in John 21, where we see Jesus go to the beach and talk to Peter. Peter just previously had denied knowing who Jesus was. And Jesus foretold him, like, hey, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Kind of gave him a heads up, and Peter's like, no way. Why would I ever do that? Peter's the overly zealous guy, the first one in the water. We all know a Peter person, right? And then it happens, and the rooster crows, and Peter has shame. He runs. He hides. He goes back to his crutch, his livelihood, his money, that he, his previous profession, he was a fisherman. He went back, and then Jesus shows up. And when he realizes that Jesus is there, he jumps in the water and chases after him, thinking he's just excited, kind of hiding, forgetting the shame that's hidden there because he's with Jesus again and realizes that Jesus was resurrected. And Jesus, in conversation with him, says, Peter, do you love me? Of course, my Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, of course. And Jesus tells him to feed his sheep. And he goes the third time. And I think, and I think there's other reasons why Jesus asked three times. I, I'm not a Jewish or New Testament scholar. So I know there's significances in numbers and all these things. But I think one of the principles here is that finally on the third time, when Jesus says, do you love me? He's like, oh, you see it. You know. And it allowed for him to bear his shame. Saying, I denied him three times. And Jesus is saying, I know. Feed my sheep. Do what I've called you to do. Be who I've called you to be. And I love you. It's this idea of bearing shame pulling things out of the dark and into the light through a process we call vulnerability, which can only happen through authentic community. We must take our shame to the cross. And I want to share a quote with you, and then I want to pray and let you ponder what areas of your life that you have shame that you need to expose, whether that's to a spouse, to a friend, to a pastor, so we can really move forward. This, this quote's by uh, Leonard Sweet, and it's not really about shame, but I think shame is another thing we can take to the cross. He says, on the cross, leadership dies. On the cross, success dies. On the cross, 
Skills die and excellence dies. All of my strengths nailed to the cross. All of my weaknesses nailed to the cross. All of my yearnings for bigger and better, for anything other than Christ himself, nailed to that same cross. Leonard Sweet. Jesus, we thank you that you love us so much that you want us to bring our shame to your light. Jesus, we take our shame and we nail it to that same cross that you were nailed to to bring freedom for all mankind. Jesus, we thank you for giving us people that we can be in community with. We thank you that you are not called us to live in isolation, but you have called us to live in the full light that is bringing everything that is hidden before you and before our fellow humans. Jesus, give us the courage to be vulnerable with one another. Let us not fear rejection and further shame, but rather recognize the shame for what it is and call it out. Jesus, I thank you for how much you have healed my own heart in the past few months for bringing these, these places of shame that I have experienced to the light, to you, to the community around me. I pray that every single person in this room would hear your voice and they would bring whatever is shameful before you. I thank you that you love us. We thank you, Jesus, for this incredible community. Speak to us, Holy Spirit, so we can walk closer and closer with you. In your name we pray. Amen.